This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,562, recorded August 9th, 2000. Here's what I wrote for tonight. Seeing no alternative, men are left to believe that they are what they think that they are. If being asleep is in being what you naturally and mechanically seem to be, then being awake from such sleep is truly indefinable, is it not? In that, how can a man comprehend what it would be like to not be himself? Thus, being awake is surely different than the being asleep. But to say that they are opposites, I fear, misses the truth of the matter. Having no ready alternative... A man is left to believe that he is what he thinks that he is. Whereas the mind tends to see disorder in the affairs of man, it likewise is predisposed to overlook the orderly results that issue from these human affairs. The mind should look at itself and learn a lesson. Consider its apparent disorderly conduct yet then be forced to marvel at what it still manages to accomplish. The mind everywhere sees life as being fragmented, unreliable, and driven by incomprehensible chaotic forces for the same reason that a jaundiced eye sees the whole world as being painted yellow. Since thoughts are the only thing the mind has to look through, When thoughts say, look through here, what the mind sees is the here, and not what it originally intended to see. See? From the mind's inability to directly comprehend itself arises the the sensation of man's humunculus. The impromptu imponderable feeling that there is a fully formed little man inside of us who controls the larger man that we see as the outside of us. But it's still the same. It's still just a variation of the same old dichotomous-based illusion that there is within you a you, and that you, that the you has a mind. Or that there is in you a mind, and that that mind has thoughts. Always the same distorted song that says, right here is one part of me, and over there is the rest. Here is the sad part of me, and over there is the best. If there is a little you inside of you, it will never conceive of or understand itself any more than one of your eyes will ever see itself. Tis as though the mind has the sight of a fly. Fragmented eyes see everything as fragmented. And thus tis that an enlightened mind sings no song, for to do so requires that the mind provide both singer and listener, and no mind so divided is enlightened. The theme of silence permeates both the universe and the mind at peace. The curious part of attempted mental self-surgery for the sake of study is that, 
when you start to take apart the humunculus within you, he disappears. A body that simply will not stay still for disassembly. Any number can be divided by two, and anything can be cut in half. That is, except for numbers and things that are imaginary. Two into grunt won't go, because grunt is indivisible. I assume you know what I mean, grunt to represent. Two into uh won't go, because uh is indivisible. A man asked a sage, can the mind think and be enlightened at the same time? And the wise one replied, oh, I don't know. Why don't you think about it? <laughs> Boy, is that ever the oldest trick in the book. Question, just what do you imagine it will take other than the world's most devious and shocking trick to ever wake you up? Just think about it. A mystic is asked if the mind can think and be enlightened at the same time, and he answers the question by saying, Think about it. Just think about what he pointed to in response to a mind's most radical interest. Boy, is it ever a trick. And one whose potential for enlightenment cannot be exaggerated. Many there have been who said that they sought to discover the reality of life. But few there have been who ever realized that. The reality of life is what goes on when you're too busy thinking about it to see it. Searching is thinking, and thinking is always moving. And what you're searching for never moves. You do see the stickiness of the situation here. One man says, I can agree that molecules make up my body, but no, not me. Not my me. Okay, sir, I admit that you got me the last time you pulled this. Now give it a rest. Footnote just for the few. As long as your mind has you convinced that there is a difference between behavior and thinking, you'll stay forever confused as to the nature of what your you actually is and isn't. Remember it this way. If molecules are moving someplace in you, then behavior is taking place. There is no behavior that is not molecular activity, and there is no I, self, or me that is not a form of behavior. In the cortex of man's brain is where his unique behavior occurs, for he alone can move with no one being aware of it. One man notes, here's the strange part. I am unquestionably certain that I have changed, grown, and made specific progress through my efforts to awaken. And yet, my mind seems to have been left behind. The constant chattering of my mind is hardly different at all from what I remember it to be when I was a teenager. 
How curious can a thing be? I feel without any doubt that I am a different person than I was 20 years ago, and yet my mind somehow has resisted change. How can it be that I have changed, and yet my mind, which is the seat of my eye, has not? How can this possibly be? And as he turned to walk away, he concluded his observation with the comment, God, but I do so enjoy a bristling good mystery. After many years of strenuous effort to understand the matter, a boy finally asked his father, Tell me the truth. Is it possible for the mind to ever realize that it is not me? And his father shot him on the spot, thus awakening him. Moral, the time must be right. Fact, the time is always right. It's just your thinking that gets in the way. I say that if the mind could just step back, step away from itself, it would instantly see what is going on and would be enlightened. But since I also say that you can easily see that this is not possible, why doesn't this fact itself bring on your enlightenment? What more does an alert man need to have pointed out to him? I guess I'm going to keep rewriting this until somebody foams at the mouth. See, I say, and I stand by it. It's a fact. I say that if your mind could just step away from itself and see, just see itself, you would be enlightened. Everyone can hear that. Everyone understands what I mean. But then I point out, if you notice, it's not possible. Except the first part of the sentence. You heard it and you go, yeah. But your thing was, well, it's just hard to do. I hadn't done it yet. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. In other words, it's possible. It sounds. And then I say, it's not possible. Then I pause. And then I say, how come just that? The fact that I point out something and say, if, you, if the mind would just do that, you'd be enlightened. You go, yeah, yeah. And I say, but have you noticed you can't do it? It's not possible. I should say it's not possible. It's not that you can't do it. It's not possible. And then I say, why does not those two things together enlighten you? I was not waiting for an answer, by the way. I waited long enough on my own. The reason busy mystics claim that the secret is so mysterious is because there is nothing mysterious about it. And it's not at all secret if you just shut up and look. On one world, the creatures live, the creatures' lives, on one world, the creatures' lives, rather than being controlled by either free will or fatalistic dictation, we're instead governed by the atmosphere. Oh, and another thing. The atmosphere's action on the creatures caused a particular reaction in them whereby they exuded an invisible, odorless emanation that continually affected the chemistry of the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. One more thing. As simple and obvious as the situation was, 
only a couple of creatures every hundred years or so ever recognized it. It's hard to understand. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was something in the atmosphere. And a boy asked his father, describe to me again what being asleep is. And the elder replied by pointing to his head and asking him, well, you know what the world of in there is, in here is. And the lad nodded yes. And his father pointed a finger away from him and asked, and you know the difference between the in here in you and the out there outside of you. And the boy said, yes, he did. And his father said, then you're asleep. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. I couldn't help it. I wrote it. It was already in my brain. Didn't do me any good to refuse to write it down because I'd already heard it. I couldn't get away from it. And I figured, hey, why should I suffer alone? Why not spread the (laughs) joy? And finally, last news page. The headline reads, all the health news you ever need know concerning man's mental world. Nothing cures anything. Thus are the innumerable sham ills of that realm revealed for what they are. Now, next headline. All the knowledge of repairs you ever need regarding the world of man's mind. Nothing fixes anything. Thus is destroyed the illusion that life is broken. Once you realize the essence of the mind and understand the nature of its creations, nothing could be clearer to you than the facts that nothing cures anything and nothing fixes anything. If you take this into account regarding your mind's attitude toward its own perceived imperfections, How can you thereafter drift along in the same old wearisome dream? What a release from futile concerns to realize that nothing cures anything for nothing is ill and nothing fixes anything for nothing is broken, including your mind. Trying to awaken will entertain the mind, but trying to awaken will not awaken the mind. Hey, I feel cured. I feel fixed. Thank you. I started, I don't know why, it's a warm-up, I guess. I'm doing finger exercises before I play. I started just bringing that one news item. Contained two headlines. All the health news you ever need to know concerning man's mental world. Remember now, I'm talking about man's, what I used to call the secondary realm. Our our entire civilized world of culture. All of the things we cannot touch. Not the buildings or up in Massachusetts that people say is Harvard. But Harvard itself, the notion of knowledge, of education. That is the secondary, cultural, always non-physical world. I say that the only health news that you need to know, the only news that is pertinent, the only information is 
to realize that nothing cures anything. Maybe I should have split them up and done the other one next week. But then I threw in that all you need to know about repairs, that nothing fixes anything. Let me go back to the health. For a second or so, figuratively, I'll stay on ordinary people. As you know, it's not my intention. There's no profit in me attacking the psychiatric arts or religion in its role as counselor vis-a-vis people's problems. But surely all of you now, in a lucid moment, you do realize that what people, remember, we're, one more time, we're not talking about physical ailments. I am not talking about people with brain tumors. We're not talking about people with anomalistically wired cortexes and thalami. Of course, that would be your problem if you had more than one thalamus, I guess. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I just, wait a minute. That might be super awakening. You don't have just one gateway from the old reptilian brain to higher consciousness, that is, to the higher workings of the brain. What if you had two? And what if the information coming up from the instinctive centers had to fight or had to decide through which thalami they would pass? I'll drop it. I just made up a... I had a big time there for a few seconds. I won't won't bore you with it. Plus, it could describe being asleep. But that's what being asleep is. That people like us, it's unbeknownst. Because we don't have anything as obvious as a tumor that would show up on a CAT scan or maybe in our behavior. But that we have two thalami. Or thalamuses. In case they're still saying it's the plural of Platypus is platypuses, rather than that platypus. Oh, yeah, and that other one, which is, that's the safe way out. When you don't know whether they call them platypuses or platymi, you go, oh, I saw a platypus, and there's another one next to it. I just thought that could, I, I'm not going, God is tempting. I made up, it came to me, just there in a split second while I was fooling around telling you, thalami. That that would explain people like us. That there at the, you know, the thalamus is still considered, just generally speaking, the gateway from the old reptilian brain, the non-conscious part of the brain, is where all the information is coming up, and it sort of acts as a gateway. It gets through the reticular activating system and gets up to the thalamus, and it's right there in that little chamber, and it's as though it's the gatekeeper Is this information important enough for consciousness, for the cortex to get it and to deal with it? What if we had two? What if people who want to awaken have two of them? All right, here, look at it another way. Ours is uncertain. He's born, evidently, everybody else instinctively, you're born and all your organs, everything knows what to do. That we have a thalamus, wait, I can make it sound better. We have a thalamus that's a bit more sophisticated. He tries to be, or it tries to be, it tries to take a wider view. And therefore, 
in a sense, it ends up being somewhat uncertain that everyone else, their thalamus just instantly is wired into them, it's hardwired, that it just instantly, this goes in, this doesn't go in. It's just the way the rest of life is. Your heart doesn't, you know, some blood come in, your heart thinks, was that enough blood or is that, you know, it just does. But what if our thalamus is already showing pretenses of being of higher consciousness so that information comes to our thalamus and it's natural inclination. It's 90% inclination is just go ahead and either cut it off or let it through. But our thalamus has pretensions of some higher calling and our thalamus goes, well, no, wait a minute. Well, and it speculates on if I let it go up there, what will, what will this cortex, what will the cortex up there do? What's it done to pass? And if that's what being asleep is. Back to where I was. Where was I? I assume that all of you have your own understanding that in the ordinary world is produced by man's mind, the cultural, civilized, secondary realm. Nothing cures anything. Psychiatry does not work. It's not an attack. And there are times that psychiatry can say that it does work. There are people who have undergone psychiatric analysis, treatment, who says it has worked. And that's part of it not working. Nothing cures anything. I guess I could have skipped trying to set up that baseline, couldn't I? Because now that I say it, even that sounds insane. I was trying to lull you into that kind of view of, yeah, I see what you mean. And then they pounce on you and go, yeah, but now let's go into people like us. Nothing cures anything. I don't know what else to say. I could certainly drag this out another 30, 40 minutes. After now, surely you people have some notions. Nothing cures anything. Nothing fixes anything in the secondary world. I'm in such a habit, I feel like I have got to come up with some ordinary, everyday example or so that will at least satisfy me that if I had an ordinary person trying to listen to this, they'd go, okay, I'll go with you that far. At least lie to me, and some of you nod that, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, that in the ordinary, secondary world, nothing cures anything. Your mind is so fragmented and chaotic that people can easily believe otherwise. They can easily believe otherwise, and most of the six billion other people on this planet would deny what I'm saying. But you can't talk people into changing. You can't talk people into doing better. You can't convince someone that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Nothing cures anything. If you see somebody and you think, well, what you're doing is killing you or what you're doing is not in your best interest, even if they go, well, okay, what do you suggest? And you suggest something, it won't work. Either they won't do it or they'll try to do it and tell you they tried to do it and it didn't work. And then you say, well, you didn't try it right. And they go, well, the hell with you. And you think, what the hell are you? I was just trying to help. Screw you then. And then your mind can say, well, your mind could say to me, well, you can't say that it didn't actually work. They didn't give it a real chance. Come on, grow up. 
You can't give advice. Nothing cures anything. One more time. Remember, I'm talking about the non-physical world. Whether you think something is wrong, whether someone else thinks something is wrong in their non-physical world, there is nothing that will cure it. Nothing works. But why doesn't anybody notice it, you might say? I was afraid you'd ask that. I was hoping you would. You know why nobody notices it? Because nobody's ill. Or to combine the two, nothing that you can think of will fix that which seems to be broken, malfunctioning. Remember, in the secondary, the non-physical world. Nothing. I'm telling you nothing. When you see personal problems people have, not physical problems, not physically, not problems of physical health, but personal problems, problems and the mental world, the mental world and the products of the mental world. There's nothing that you can do to repair a relationship that's broken. There's nothing you can do to repair a person's personality that's broken. To repair someone's dreams who say that, well, my dreams have been broken. <clears throat> my zest for life has been shattered. There is nothing that will cure that. There is nothing that will repair it. And if I said that's an ordinary mind, they should say, well, that's obviously not true because no one ever notices it. If you're, if you're correct, why, do, why doesn't anybody ever notice it? Why are you the only one? It's easy. Nobody notices that nothing fixes anything. For some reason, nothing's broken. So you're trying to fix something that's not broken to start with. You're trying to cure something that is not ill to begin with. So how would you ever notice? Well, down to the dirty part. If you can get a glimpse of that, it's just, I present it to you in other ways in the past, but it is obvious as hell. I can't believe that if you, all of you, if you do not put your attention on it just a bit, that I'll bet you some example from your life will hit you dead between the eyes and you'll see it just clear as hell. And when it comes to non-physical matters, Whatever the ill seems to be, whatever the problem seems to be in the non-physical world, there is nothing that will fix it. Nothing. And when you see it, it's just plain as hell. And in a sense, they'll go along after you retroactively and pick up little dripping pieces, spills, all kinds of loose ends that you never could understand about life, things that didn't seem to be just or things that didn't seem to work out. <clears> that didn't seem to balance themselves out. It's just clear as hell. Clear as hell why you misperceived it in that way. Because the reason is, nothing is broken. And so, nothing will fix anything. No matter what you do, you can't fix something that's not broken. And if you don't realize it's not broken to start with, then where are you? I have an answer for that. With some of us, I'll tell you where you are. You're trying to awaken your mind. You're trying to achieve, enlighten, achieve enlightenment of the mind. That's when I said it would get dirty. Assuming that you can get your own view of it, that's the only way it'll work, that you get your own understanding that nothing fixes anything. Nothing cures anything. 
for the simple reason that the ills are sham and that the apparent broken aspects of life where life needs repairing is not actually broken. If you get a glimpse of that, if you can see it for yourself, then my recommendation, the whole point is, then turn your attention, turn your consideration on the matter of this whole thing of trying to awaken, trying to change your state of consciousness. Because people such as us see our natural state, your individual state at least, as being sick, figuratively speaking. You see your consciousness as malfunctioning from your view compared to what you believe it could be, what you've accepted it should be. Even though you don't understand it unless you are there, people just say, well, I just won't be awake. Nobody knows what the hell it means unless you've been there. And if you're not there right now, you can say you know, but you're lying. You can say, I knew once. You're treating some part of your mind, one aspect of consciousness, as being broken, as being ill, figuratively speaking. But if what I say is true, that nothing fixes anything and nothing will cure anything, then what are you faced with if I'm correct? And I hate to tell you, well, guess, if I'm correct, I know whether I am or not, guess. Let me go back to the opening news item. Seeing no available alternative, a man is left to believe that he is he thinks that he is. But now, surely all of you here and in the other places hearing this, if you took just that one idea, whatever it is, 15 or 20 words, it covers everything, as far as I can tell from my life and experience, everything that you need to know about achieving this, everything you need to know about the nature of man. And I kept it down. I pared it down. I left out several modifiers I could have put. But consider it. It is, as far as I'm concerned, it is the pithiest, most direct, most economical, and most expansive description of man that I've ever heard up until this day, the 9th of August, the year 2000. Because the exact words only came to me along about 6.30 as I was out for a run before I came here. But down to just the words. You can forget Freud. You can forget all the Zen masters, all the Sufi teachers. Consider it. The words. Seeing no alternative. A man is left to believe, I started to say by default, but I assume all of you put all this together, but seeing no alternative, us, the other six billion, when you start out, everybody, as you're maturing into adulteryhood, seeing no alternative, a man is left to believe that he is 
what he thinks that he is. That's being asleep. Understanding that's being awake. But that is every description from my view now, from my life of experience. The way I see it, I don't, I cannot think today of a less ornamented, plainer description. And it covers everything of what we are. It covers what we think we are. It covers the notion of, I believe I'm asleep, and sometimes I'm obviously not quite as asleep or distracted as I am at other times. Some days I'm better, some days I'm worse. Sometimes I'm worse or better from hour to hour. Or something has suddenly happened in life in a circumstance, a change in circumstance, can instantly weaken me, distract me, put me off into a dream world, as bad as I ever was. All of that goes on. It's just, it's the many successes and failures of trying to awaken the many ups and downs of struggling for this state of enlightened mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I repeat, seeing no alternative, men are left to believe that they are what they think that they are. What else do you need to know? If you see that that's a fact, as simple as it sounds, as non-mystical, certainly as non-metaphysical, that's what being asleep is. That is what a noise, speaking uh, at least on your behalf, theoretically, taking you as being my kind of mystic, that is all. That's the beginning of and the end of what bothers people like us. That is the origins, the continuing source of what drives some people to be interested in this, for people to give up their life, to change their whole life, and to do what little we do. What little you do, I meant to say, didn't mean we. There it is. Seeing no alternative, men are made to believe that they are what they think that they are. You can take everything all the way from the Greek dramatist or on back to the pre-Confucian writers in the Far East. Swing on down through the very early Vedic writings. Take everything that Western psychology has ever written about man, that sociology has ever pointed out, that religions have tried to speak and address the matter of man's changing spiritual life, you can take all of that and put it in that one sentence because that's all it amounts to. The rest of it is unnecessary elaboration. The rest of it is such a psychology and plenty of the social commentators, not just Western psychology, of course, but of they, they elaborate on that basic idea and it turns into such far-flung, unnecessary elaborations based containing the speculations that, well, this guy over here, many people are like they are because of the way their mother treated them. And many people are like they are because of the strained relationships they had between them and their father. Many people are like they are because they did not have the right sort of relationship with their brothers and sisters. I think say that 
person did not have the right attitude toward their neighbors, their community, their fellow man. Seeing no alternative, men are made to believe that they are what they think they are. Whatever it is that you think you are, that's being asleep. It doesn't matter what it is. It's another aspect that seems to escape the notice of almost all mystics historically. That is, to, even though some of them I know repeat the words, similar words, but that this is absolutely a solitary undertaking. We can get past the jokes of, well, now it's a solitary undertaking. It's a solitary journey. Because you are nothing other than what you think you are. Well, I guess it's time to do this one again. This has got to be my favorite. I know I keep saying that this one's my favorite and another one is, but here's the one. It's a fact. I tell you again, it's a fact. If you didn't want to and try to wake up, you wouldn't be asleep. That's a fact. There's no way around it. But then my question is, how is there any way around you continuing to think that, to repeat that, and not catch on? If you did not try to awaken, you would not be asleep. And if I have to play out the part for you again, then I would say that your mind would be tempted, very inclined to respond and go, well, if, you, if you're actually saying that and insisting that that statement's true, then all you're saying is that if I didn't ever think about trying to wake up, that is, if I just stayed asleep and distracted all the time, then sure, you could say, figuratively speaking, I wouldn't be asleep because I'd never think about it. Now, if you're trying to say that, then that's just a verbal trick. So you didn't catch on at all. You're just a Weisenheimer. You're not even that. You're dense. You didn't catch on. Would you even get that part? Did I mess that up? I say that if you did not try to awaken, you or anybody, I don't mean just you. If you did not try, if I did not try, say it for yourself, if I did not try to awaken, if I didn't keep trying to awaken, I would not now be asleep. But then you can't settle it by going, well, all I'm saying is that if, like, if I could just go ahead and go back to sleep, like I guess I was before I ever heard of this, if I could just go back and get absolutely asleep, just tied up in life and just everyday affairs and never thought about this again, yeah, I guess I could say that I wouldn't be asleep on the simple basis that if I never thought about it again, I'd be asleep. But, yeah, I guess I could say that I wouldn't be asleep because I would never again think about being asleep. So I guess technically I could say I wouldn't be asleep because I forgot about trying to awaken Shut up. <laughs> it's not theoretical. If you did not try to wake up, you wouldn't be asleep. That's really better than the other sentence because it's shorter. Plus, it's more irritating. <laughs> well, when you get... I keep saying it's irritating. None of you stand up and say, my God, that's irritating. I say that trying to encourage you that if it bothers you at all... The rest of it is, it's irritating when you're getting real close to it, but you just can't quite see it yet. 
It's like you're almost close to wherever you're going. It's over the next hill. You're not sure. You've never been there. But trust me, you begin to get kind of irritated. Like, well, screw all this. I'm tired. and It's just over the hill. You're close when it begins to irritate you. And plus, the irritation makes you smile. If you can just, if you repeat to yourself, if I didn't try to wake up, I wouldn't be asleep. If I didn't try to wake up, I wouldn't be asleep. I don't know, maybe you have to repeat it dozens, hundreds of times. Maybe just once or twice, but it may take a whole handful of times. But I am just, I feel convinced that all of you, something will finally happen. It may just be momentary. But something will grab you. Then don't give up. Keep on doing it. If there was a great, if there was a secret mystical teaching within the great mystical tradition, all that kind of stuff, that would be it. That after someone had spent their life, I, sh- I should have put that in a story, shouldn't I? God spent his life studying with all the renowned living teachers. And finally tracked down this one man that he kept hearing about. Went through all this great effort. Found him. Gave him a quick rundown. And I studied so and so for years and years. And they tried to appoint me the head of some mystical school. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I have devoted my whole life. And I still wonder if there's not one other thing. And everyone says I should talk to you. Is there one thing I don't yet know? And this ancient one that he looked up says, obviously there is. And the man says, well, I'm glad I came to you. What is it? Now, this is a man who spent his life with great success, became famous himself. And he says, what is the one thing? I, I just, I felt like there was something I still didn't understand. What is it? And the older guy said, as long as you keep trying to wake up, You'll be asleep. The guy said, that's not it. And the old guy said, you're right. I was trying to get rid of you. <laughs> the guy said, I figured it was some sort of trick. But still, there is something, isn't there? No mystic said, yeah, there is. He said, so you're going to tell me now? And he said, all right, I'll tell you. You sense that you're not completely awake. You have not achieved absolute, total, all that's possible enlightenment. The visitor said, yeah, that's why I'm here. I suspected, I just felt it, I'm not, I know there's something lacking. The old guy said, all right, here it is. If you didn't try to awaken, you wouldn't be asleep. Then I catch on last week several times on different nights, I kept writing a very similar news item. Uh, turn it into stories and then put it to you as rhetorical questions like, one guy said he wondered if the final, the ultimate, the supreme, the big awakening would turn out to be, would it be in the form of something new that he learned, that he realized mentally, or would it be in the form of something that he learned that he could do? And remember, I say that thinking is behavior because it requires the same kind of molecular action in your brain, the same kind of molecular action in you to think that it does. 
to raise your foot off the ground. I hadn't planned. I tried not to say anything specific about what I had in mind. But having to do with two major views I tried to present tonight, whether I succeeded or not, that I say that you would realize what's going on if just inside your head, so to speak, which is where all this is going on, that if your mind itself, rather than wrestling with itself, dancing with itself, has got its own arms around itself, dancing around in circles, trying to catch itself as an eyeball trying to see itself, a hand trying to grab itself, instead of that, if the mind would just stop and would just step back, the same way that you would if you were real up close to some some event going on, you just jam up against it, it's all kind of chaotic, confused, and you just pressed up against it. Everybody knows. You know, you step back. If your mind would just, in your head, just step back, forget any kind of mystical knowledge, or if it would just step back and just look at what's going on, I say that there's your enlightenment. That's all it is. And then I say, but if you notice, it doesn't seem to be possible. And then I ask, why doesn't that alone tell you everything you need to know? Why didn't that blow you out of your socks? That you keep trying to look and realize that's a fact. It starts off, and I'm just convinced. You don't even analyze it when I say if the mind could just step away from itself, just a step, just step back and look. You go, yeah, 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 I got that, yeah. I say, you would see everything. You would realize exactly what everything is about. You go, yeah, I believe that. Now I say, but if you notice, it's not possible. So how can the first part of that sentence be, strike you as so valid, so doable, so genuine? Now, yeah. It just, I, well, at least I assume it sounds right to you, because it is right. If the mind would just step back, just step away from itself, just a step, and just look at what's going on, not out there, in here, but the mind just look at what's going on, and step back. That there is everything you need to know. There is enlightenment. Yep, yep. Now I say comma, comma. But have you also noticed it's not possible? There is something that you can do along those lines. That you physically try and do inside your skull. But you're not curing anything and you're not repairing something that's broken. Because nothing's broken. And nothing is ill. I'm trying to give you a hint so that you'd try it and figure it out, discover it for yourself. All right, if it's not possible for the mind to stuff away from itself. Oh, all right. How about this? What if it could be made to take up every inch of space available. No room for even the illusion of illness, fragmentation. It's the whole thing that if you weren't trying to wake up, you wouldn't be asleep. If there wasn't enough room to try and awaken, oh, all right. If there wasn't enough room to try to think about trying to awaken, then you couldn't think about being asleep. 
And if you find how to do it, it has nothing, it doesn't even resemble intelligence. If you find out what I'm talking about inside your head, you'll have no flash about, ooh, if the world knew this, I suddenly feel like I make Einstein look like a mental midget. I suddenly see myself as an overblown, an exaggeration of the thinker. It's almost stupidity. Heard anybody like the story the other day? That I said that there was a patch of pumpkins who developed almost what we'd call the ability to think. And sure enough, they immediately, they all fell upon or fell to the task of trying to figure out, reflect on what, what is actually the nature of pumpkin existence. But sad to report, but I've reported anyway, being heartless, that after many seasons of such a combined attempt, only one pumpkin ever seemed to make any progress, ever seemed to succeed. And then I had to tell you everything I knew. When they, that one pumpkin was examined, it found out he was hollow. Does everybody understand? Surely do. What's the opposite of hollow? Which is the same thing, but what would be the opposite of hollow? Well, emptiness takes up all the available space. That's how something's empty. If emptiness doesn't take up all the available space, like in a box, if you look in a box and go, well, I say, what's in there? And you go, it's empty. Emptiness has to take up all the available space. I mean, like there's a skate key in there, and I go, what's in there? And you go, well, it's empty. Well, except for a skate key. Well, it's not empty. Well, yeah, except for a skate key, but it's not empty. Emptiness has to take up all the available space. But, of course, it can be the opposite of emptiness. And so rather than the mind stepping back away from itself and being able to see what it's doing, what if it could blind itself by being everywhere? What if you could take your little sleeping, pea-brained, sized, distorted, distracted, sleeping form of the mind and explode it? So that you never tried to awaken. You didn't think about awakening anymore because it was all taken up by something else. You know, two and the uh, won't go. Not real. <laughs> because real grunt is indivisible. Real uh, takes up all possible space that there is for uh, as I started out that news item that I'm now back referring to, I said that any number can be divided by two, and anything, any portion, anything can be cut in half, except, except for imaginary numbers and illusionary things. And then I said, yeah, and that's why, you know, two into won't go. So I keep going. You understand because I don't want to say what I mean. In case there are children or civilians listening. But say, you know, wink, wink. 
course, I'll be just delighted if some of you leave think, I guess everybody knew what it meant except me. What the hell did it mean? That a boy. That's it. Now, we're going all the way driving home until it hits you. Two won't go into it. And yet everybody believes it does. They live as though it does. That's what being asleep is. You're just thinking you're asleep. Except your mind says, well, I don't think I'm asleep. I know that sometimes I'm asleep. Are you asleep right now? Well, no. But right now, I mean, knowing about this and talking about it, this is the only times I'm not really asleep. Well, don't you get it? The mind says, get what? Faster than an atomic passing of wind. Atomic powered and above 22,000 cycles per second. God, I love having that clock here. For you people out in tape land, I assume you know I used to try to keep the tapes down to an hour, and we have this clock, this time clock, and it sits here. Sometimes I don't really stick with it. But it is so meaningful because I can look and think, well, Jesus, I've really talked over an hour, so I'm just going to have to arbitrarily quit here. All of you are dear to me as hell, but that clock singled in that chair. That's, that's my buddy. Because I can look and think, well, i got to quit. I could go on, but i got to quit. Well, Dr. Knight, you told me that uh, my liver is going to kill me within several weeks. I guess I'm glad I came because now I guess I've got to quit drinking, don't I? See, that's physical problem. Remember, I wasn't talking about physical. There's nowhere to go. And that somebody can do that to you about non-physical problems. Son, young woman, if you still keep living in that kind of sleeping, deluded state of mind, something terrible is going to happen to you. You think, Dr. Mystic, does that mean? Yes, it does. I'm saying you've got to stop it now. So you mean I've just got to go ahead and wake up and realize what's happening? I'm afraid so. Or you're not. You just don't have much longer. You just can't keep living like this. You go, well, I'm glad I came here because once you put it to me that way, by God, I guess I'll have to buckle down and do it. Don't tell me somebody's going to smile at that. You're not an idiot. All right, laugh at it. It's all right. Scoff at it. That's what any good mystic does when something begins to be irritating. Then it's funny. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.